Hello and welcome back to Control Alt Delete. My guest today is the wonderful writer and journalist Clover Stroud, who has actually come on this podcast a few times before. I really adore her writing and her outlook on the world. And her first book, The World Other, was shortlisted for the Wainwright Prize. And she came on this podcast, might have been four or five years ago now, to talk about that book, which was incredible and very moving. Her second book is called My Wild and Sleepless Nights, A Mother's Story. And it's such an incredible, vivid memoir about raising five children. Children. It was rated one of the best books of the year by The Observer and The Telegraph, and it was a Sunday Times bestseller. And her third memoir is out now. It's called The Red of My Blood. It might just be my favourite of them all. It is an amazing, glittering, colourful memoir looking at life, death and grief. She's asking the question, can death bring something good to my life? The story is about Clover's sister who died of breast cancer aged 46 and her sudden death broke Clover's life into many pieces. The Red of My Blood charts Clover's surreal and fearless and difficult journey through the first year after her sister's death. And it's just such a special book, this one. I can't say enough about how touching it is, but also what a journey you go on. You don't read this book, you kind of live it with Clover, and it will really stay with me for a long, long time. So I recommend you picking up a copy of the book and I really hope you enjoy this conversation. This is part one of our chat as we chatted for quite a while. So if you listen to this episode, then you can go and listen to the second episode right after. So I hope you enjoy and here it is. We are in person today, which is really nice. And I also got to go to your book launch a few mm. days ago now. And I just wanted to say how special it was and how warm it was in the room and just how are you feeling kind of after that happened? Yeah, it's a big moment launching a book and you've been working up to it for such a long time. And obviously this, you know, this is actually my third memoir. I didn't really set out to write so many memoirs, but I am fascinated by life and what it throws at us and what we have to navigate and deal with. And I guess this is such a personal book and it is about my sister's death. But I hope and I think that is also an optimistic book and it is about life. And so I'm happy to have the book out now and I'm just really, really looking forward to it being in the hands of people like sharing my story and that's totally totally one of the main main reasons that I write I mean there are many different reasons but that is a big driver is that feeling of sharing the story with other people and connecting with other people I love that definitely and and not to give too much away from like what happened that <clears throat> evening but you did do a speech and you started off telling a joke about mm. death and mm. I thought I think people might be surprised when they hear that you can do that. Well, I really was aware when I, after my sister died very suddenly, how devastating and physical grief is. And it was, it was awful in many, many ways. But I was also really aware of this kind of glittering wall of colour around me as if my life was being kind of sensually opened in some way and I really wanted to which was sometimes really you know that also makes you feel as though you've been kind of turned inside out I remember being in in Oxford a few days after Nell died and I was and just everywhere that I looked it was like the leaves were bright even though it was December the leaves were bright green and I looked down and there was suddenly this tangerine just sitting on the kind of vivid gray pavement and a black cat with green eyes and this feeling of I'm it's as though I've been 
skinned or something. I can feel absolutely everything. And and grief and being close to Nell's death, I was there when she died, did make me feel really, really alive. I mean, it made me feel really, really unhappy, but it made me feel really, really alive. And I really wanted to um, communicate that in the writing and communicate how that changed over the course of a year. And you know, the the kind of diff, different, difficult, sometimes glittering moments of it as well. Mm. Um, so hopefully it is about colour. It is about colour and light. A friend of mine read it and said, oh, it's like there's a glittering, she said, it's just like colourful glitter all over, all in front of you. You lay it all out like a kind of wall. And I was really pleased with that because that's what I wanted. Yes. And how amazing that you are so skilled at taking all of that and putting it down on the page because I found that with my wild and sleepless nights you're someone who clearly is so curious by life but also leans right into it Mm. I remember you always that time you told me about how giving birth you know you're kind of on the edge of death and Mm. how you you wanted to write about that and live on the edge of life in many ways Mm. and this feels no different to that sometimes yeah definitely I I want to feel all of you know when you put your hand into a pl- into a kind of far corner of a cupboard and you find something that you didn't know was there or you you push yourself I want to feel all the outer edges of my days and not just I don't want an easy life I suppose which is lucky because <laughs> I haven't had a very easy life I mean I've had a, be- a wonderful life in many ways but I have had a lot of trauma and tragedy and loss along the way and maybe that is why I you know as a kind of survival I suppose that I I want to be able to feel it all. I don't want to feel that I'm just, I mean, of course, there are days when I just want to put the duvet over my head and kind of curl up and not have to face it all. But um, I I do believe that by facing it, by kind of, yeah, as you say, leaning into the pain and leaning into the extremities of the experience, we can understand it. And creatively, that is quite an interesting place to be as well. It's a It's a kind of rich place to be. We learn so much from our suffering and our losses, don't we? You know, when you're mm-hmm. happy and you feel, I mean, it's wonderful that moment when you're, everything's going well and you're feeling really happy, but what do you do? Like, oh, I feel really happy. Whereas if, when you feel melancholy or loss or self-doubt, there are kind of many different edges to that, aren't there? Yes. And that's, I'm interested by the, by the sort of, mm-hmm. you know, many different edges of that crystal of, of, of the, of the more challenging moments in our life, I suppose. I completely agree. I remember when Alain de Botton years ago explained to me why he loves listening to melancholy music and like would choose to sit in a room and feel sad. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, I do that sometimes, but I've always felt ashamed of that and that I should be a happy person all the time. And and then you realise that's so boring and there are so many other aspects mm. and shades and angles of life. Well, Life is really difficult. Life is full of so much difficulty. Being a human being and even, you know, just a normal day, not dealing with your sister's death or some loss or disappointment at work or, you know, whatever, just a normal day can be really, really bloody difficult, can't it? And I think that allowing ourselves to feel the darker bits of it and not feel, oh, this is life gone wrong, you know, this I shouldn't be feeling like this. No, I'm just I'm just being a human being. And I think that's such an interesting thing that he said, because sometimes I think my writing life is a bit like that. I write 
on my own, obviously in a in a very small sort of sitting room, which is in the annex of a friend's house. And I go there and it's quite dark and I kind of shut myself in. Uh, I don't always write there, but if I'm lucky to get some days there. And sometimes I, I sit there and I write on the sofa and I sit there and I I think of some difficult things and I might read some poetry and feel some difficult stuff and sometimes I make myself cry <laughs> and then and then think oh that was interesting I'm going to write about what that actually felt like yeah and I hope that that really connects with with readers because I think so many of us are feeling these things a lot of the time and we feel this huge pressure to kind of feel happy or be positive or kind of, pra- you know, the practices that will make us feel calm and that will make us feel positive. When in my experience, you're more often kind of going, having, I wouldn't say battling, because it's not always a battle. It's just like walking through the days with some very, very big stuff that you're having to go through at the same time. And I love being able to kind of put words and images around that and communicate that. And I hope that it enables people to feel less alone in their melancholy and their weirdness and their kind of um, the difficulties as well. Mm. There's something very philosophical about the idea of like flowing with life, and mm. I, I swear there's a lot of people out there who who try and communicate how to do that. But in our modern life, it feels so hard. But to get to that place where you feel like your art and your creativity will always be there for you as well, mm. it's almost like mm. no matter what happens, there is somewhere I can put this. Mm. But mm. I but I know you mentioned the word glittering a few times and, and and your editor made a beautiful statement about about the book and used the word glittering as well and and I have only seen photos of Nell but I kind of want the listeners to just understand kind of who we're mm. talking about because when I see her in my mind she's wearing glitter mm, she was always wearing <laughs> glitter she um so Nell was older than me by 2 years it's so weird that this year I'm going to be older than she was she was 46 when she died in 2019 and I'm going to be 47 this year so I'll be older than her but um she was I quite often make a joke that I'm I feel like I'm a cut glass version a, a cut price version of Nell because she was bigger blonder glam you know much more kind of flamboyant and glamorous and she was an incredibly creative person from when we were very small and I uh, was always obsessed by circus and then after university, she went and worked in circuses like making popcorn and looking after horses. And then in the year 1999, 2000, she started her own circus. So she she had this incredible circus, which she ran for until 2019, until when she died. So to see Nell at work was to see her wearing, you know, really flamboyant. She'd often be wearing a kind of beautiful reproduction of an 18th century court dress or a kind of really out there Argentinian riding gear or uh, she would be dressed as a kind of flapper or, you know, she she was always in in costume when she was working. Um, In normal life, she also, she loved Bista Village. She loved going to Bista Village and like spending loads of money and Gucci and, (laughs) and, um, and, Yves Saint Laurent, like places that I would never, ever, ever would go shopping at all. That's where she she went to. She loved that. So she was a big, really, really big flamboyant person. She was also um, very, very serious, quite shy, quite quiet, could be incredibly difficult and a total diva. 
and was a true creative. You know, she lived her creativity with every kind of ounce of her being. And as it does when you are creative, I think it dominated, you know, it dominated her life completely. But she was, as a result, yeah, she often had extremely long, like fake eyelashes and glitter. And in the last few years of her life, when she had cancer, she always had very short cropped blonde hair or a Mohican. She made, you know, she looked incredible. She always looked incredible. You know, I, it's amazing that through this book as well, so many people will feel like they know mm. her in some ways. Mm. And the way, you, you know, you paint a picture of your intimate lives, it's a, I feel like it's a very generous act mm. to let us into that. Yeah, well, I love, I mean, I actually love Instagram as a way of sharing pictures of her as well, because people that didn't know her now know who she is as well via, because I've talked a lot on my Instagram about her. And it was it was on the day that she got her secondary diagnosis in 2018. It was obviously an absolutely terrible, terrible day. We were in the, I was in the hospital with her. And then um, at the end of the day, I took her back to the circus, actually, because she was working there. And she was wearing like a f- typical kind of very flamboyant floor-length fur coat and massive Gucci shades. And she said... Um, And we talked very, very briefly about what her very serious secondary diagnosis meant. And she said, don't worry about me, look after the children. She was talking about her children and my children, look after all the children and look after yourself. And then she said, but don't worry about me. And then she she sort of pulled these massive shades onto her face. She said, don't worry about me because I'm going to be dead. I'm going to be a dead legend. (laughs) And she is a dead legend. (laughs) And she would be, I mean, it's tragic, but I am also really, really pleased that she kind of lives on in some way or another. And I love it that so many people have a sense of who she was and that the writing, you know, this writing does bring her, it conjures her up in some way. I love that. Yes, it really does. Mm. And also, you know, we're so scared of talking about death in this mm. in this culture. And mm. what I love about your book is it's not the elephant in the room. Mm. It's like, here it is, mm. and we're all going to go through it. It's a completely inescapable fact. And like sex, we kind of pretend it's this thing that's not happening <laughs> that we can't talk about or or think about or discuss or kind of get to know in some way that's what I I felt as though when I was with Noel when she died and I felt as though death had come into the room and like taken her with me and afterwards in writing the book I wanted to really fully acquaint myself with death and feel what what was happening like death was a presence there that took her she went with death and I was left and I wanted to kind of not demystify because death is utterly mysterious as well. And that's, you know, the only conclusion that I can come to in the book. But I wanted to, you know, like I wanted to sort of put my hands all over the face of death and like feel it and and be there, be there with it and and do my best creatively to kind of explore what death meant and whether I could communicate with her and whether I could... um whether I thought that I would see her again or whether I could manifest her in my life. And like, if did all these symbols, did the kind of, you know, the feather that suddenly appears or the black cat that that is suddenly there, what do those actually mean? And I, and I look at all of those in the most kind of clear sighted way that I possibly can. And it's been really helpful to me, like, I think, and I hope that the book will do this, which is to 
um, open up some conversation, some more conversations about death as well, so that we can talk about it more openly. And Nell and I didn't really talk about it that much because she had a secondary cancer diagnosis and it was really, really, she didn't want to talk about it. And I wish that we talk, talked about it more throughout our lives. So I talk with my kids about it. I've got five children. I talk with them about it quite a lot. They are quite aware of death because of, because of you know, Nell and my mum died as well. And we spend time at her grave and it's good having a chat about what do you think, you know, where do you think Nell is and what happens in the afterlife? Is there an afterlife? What do you think about reincarnation? You can have funny conversations about what you're going to be reincarnated as. And nothing can prepare you fully for the death of somebody you really love. But I think that, I think that you can be, you can have looked at it more clearly. You know, you can have allowed your, don't think of it as like a horror film that I'm not going to look at this. I'm not going to look at this because it is going to happen. It is going to happen to, you know, we are going to lose the people we love. And when we lose the people we love, we then are filled with this kind of torrent of like, of disbelief and anger, like so much anger and heartbroken and kind of bereft and these massive things that are going on inside us, like a kind of tsunami going on inside us at the same time that we have to like walk around and cook the pasta and get the clothes out of the washing machine. And that's a lot. <laughs> that's why grief is so insane, you know, and it makes you feel as insane as more insane than, than falling passionately in love with someone, you know, it's that kind of tumultuous feeling. Mm. Um, so I think exploring it, talking about it, having it, in our lives is helpful yes yeah yeah and and how weird in a way that it is that we, it's the one thing we know for sure and mm. it's the one thing that human beings just can't, can't really about. cope with mm. it's like certainty mm. um but still it's it's yeah this thing that's in the corner of the room sometimes but um i, I wanted to ask because i think some people might be interested to know why you wanted to write it so soon after because mm. I, I understand why this book is very emotionally and physically close to the death. It's close to what happened. It, you're in a state of being that only this book could be written now, but mm. obviously a memoir would change depending on the time you write it. Mm. Um, well, I'm really interested by um, life writing, it, it, writing a bit like a reporter or, you know, a bit like kind of being right up close and personal in the trenches with the thing as it's happening. And when I wrote my second book, which was about being a mum, I had a, my adolescent son was being expelled from school and I also had a newborn baby at the same time. So I wanted to write about what that really felt like, the kind of extremities of motherhood without any any of the rose tinting of you know of a, of looking back at something i wanted to write with a real immediacy and when nell died i was i was desperately kind of trying to find something to read that would describe what i was going through so that i didn't feel like i was so alone so that i didn't feel as though i was going mad there must you know i knew other people had gone through this as well and i was really interested by looking at friends and looking at people in the public eye like i was i almost wrote to nigella lawson because i thought she's lost her husband her mother her sister to cancer and she's look at her she's living a life that looks you know gorgeous in many ways and she's so alive how on earth is she doing that i felt i've got to study her i've got to got to really really work out cuz it must be possible so i i I, as I set out on the book, I had a sense 
that over time there would be, you know, there would be a change. I would change, that I wasn't going to remain in the heartbroken state that I was when I kind of set out to write it a few months after Nell's death. And as a writer, I am, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in, in writing stuff in real time as what I really, really enjoy doing. And I think that that's what gives my writing its kind of real punch and real immediacy because I am feeling it as I write it. Yeah. And if I wrote about a book about Nell's death now, two and a half years later, it would be a different kind of book. It would be, it would have more of the long perspective on it. Yeah. Um, and I hope it's, it's helpful to readers that that feeling, you know, I, when I'm going through the difficult stuff, I want to know that I'm not alone, basically. And some of the some of the stuff that I read after Nell died was really, really old poetry, like Middle English, Anglo-Saxon, even Gilgamesh, which is like supposed to be the oldest poem in the world ever written. And and in translations of that, it's so interesting because you think, oh God, old poetry, that's going to be really difficult for me to read. But there's so many brilliant translations. And those poems like Gwaine and the Green Knight and Pearl and the Mort d'Arthur are like full of the images of dealing with adversity. They're almost like incredibly creative versions of modern self-help books <laughs> because all of the answers are there. And it made me think, Gilgamesh was written thousands and thousands of years ago and the poet talks about the desolation of death and the way you lose I mean he loses his friend and he feels as though death is everywhere and I was reading Gilgamesh in this translation I just thought this is exactly what I'm feeling and I was reading Gawain and the Green Knight and this is exactly what I'm feeling it was written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago this makes me feel a hell of a lot less alone and a hell of a lot less deranged by this really mm. um so I yeah, so I was. Uh, th they were a big kind of source of in inspiration for me, and I wanted to kind of create some of the vividness and gorgeousness of those poems as well in the imagery. Yeah, it's amazing because you'll you will be doing that for others through your book, and it was really interesting. Kind of yeah, what you reached for in those times, and that is like the oldest, most universal thing mm. ever, isn't it? Mm. That we reach for old historical or like I think you even mentioned the Bible in your mm, book like mm. there's something about just like okay people have been here before mm. I mean this is not new mm. even though I feel so alone yeah in this yeah they've been here before and they have survived it you know they had you because at times in the begin at the start of grief you feel when when Nell died I just felt like my life is is over now I'm 44 and that's that's it it's just completely ruined everything that you know this this life that I've been working for this life that I've created mid-40s you kind of think in a way sometimes you think oh death the death of the people you love should come later and you know this shouldn't be happening now this should be happening when I'm in my 70s or 80s and then I'll be more prepared for it I don't think you probably are more prepared for it then but I felt so angry that I was having to had lost Nell at that point in my life and um and the kind of knowing that you do survive it and you don't and you are completely changed by it and you are um hurt you know it's not as though you kind of reach a point where everything is suddenly clear and you can move forward you know and you've gone through certain stages one of the things i write about is that the path of grief is really 
you know, it's like a mountain road. It's like a snake back road. Sometimes you feel like you're moving forward and then you suddenly find yourself kind of on your knees again. But that's okay. You will, and you will, I use the metaphor as the forest of this place you have to get through and you will keep on going back to the forest, but you will, you know, you will survive it and you will find new ways of looking at it. You will find new beauty in the landscape and then you will move back out into the light, into the light again. And that's the same, Emma, isn't it? Whether, you know, whatever we're going through, that kind of light in the dark is there, whether we've lost somebody we really love or not. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that the, the feeling of the duality of life is something that I know that I am having to work with all work at all the time to 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 remind myself as well that when the dark days come, just keep going, you know, just keep going, just keep going. You're like a kind of a ball rolling forward and then it will that, that something will change again. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation with Clover Stroud. This is part one of the interview. So if you go back to your podcast app, you'll be able to see part two so you can carry on listening to this conversation.